Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, Golf Monthly's weekly look at the various different events around the world in golf. Today we look back on the Champions for Charity match, hear from Wayne Riley and discuss Justin Rose's split with Homma. Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse. My name is Tom Clark and this week I'm joined by not one but two people. I'm joined by Elliot Heath. How are you doing, Elliot? Hi, Tom. Yeah, good as always. Excellent. And also Sam Tremley. How are you doing, Sam? Hello, Tom and Elliot. It's good to be back on. Good stuff. So we're doing a three-way Skype call. So hopefully our connections will all sound fine. Um, But we've got plenty to talk about. There's been a pretty busy week Actually, a pretty busy last few days. But the most important thing is that we need to find out how Elliot played Swindley Forest on Friday. How did you play, Elliot? Uh, yeah, I played OK. I probably had about 12 points on the front nine and then came back in one over. Nice. And there's quite an easy par five on the back nine that I almost made an albatross on, which would have been my second career albatross. I was about two foot short of the pin. Did you make eagle then? I did, yes. My opponent, though, made birdie with a shot. And, yeah, <laughs> I, I lost my match, which, you know, is the right and honourable thing to do oh, with God. when you're a guest at Swanley Forest. I think I'll be joining there as an artisan quite soon. Uh, so I really look forward to that. I'd recommend anybody listening to this podcast, if you want to find a bit of cheap golf somewhere that, you know, in the local area, maybe like inquire with your local club that if it has an artisan section. Because I think they do, at Swinley, one dividend session a month per person. So it's about two hours. And obviously, it makes the course look great. And yeah, good way to get out of the house as well. Yeah, and, and there's... Uh, no, you're right. We've, I know we've mentioned this before. People, Some people obviously won't know what an artisan member is. But it's, it's people who really kind of volunteer to help out the upkeep of the course. Uh, and in return they get a cheaper membership of the club there's also other things isn't there that so there's usually a slightly different clubhouse sometimes and yeah. you can only play at certain times certain isn't that right yeah yeah restricted two times uh which to be fair actually work for quite a lot of people if you're working you can go and play uh, straight from the office in the summer or just play early mornings in the winter brilliant and and is, was the course in good nick oh it was brilliant it's just like a a magical garden of Eden it is. It's, uh, <laughs> as soon as you get through those gates and you see that clubhouse, it's, yeah, it's just amazing. I love it. Good stuff. Are, they, uh, are all the rhododendrons out at the moment, are they? Or Well, they've actually taken most of the roadies out because they're not great for the pine trees and the soil. They're not indigenous, so I think they come from... Uh, I want to say like Sri Lanka or somewhere out in the uh, Far East. So they are they're getting rid of those, keeping the heather. So there's heather everywhere. And then uh, azaleas are what they're trying to plant. Lots of uh, nice yellow ones. Very nice. We seem to have suddenly turned into uh, the Gardeners Well podcast. Um, <laughs> no, it's right. great. That was, that's very interesting uh, information there, Elliot. And I'm looking forward to you getting more and more into your plants as you are... Uh, <laughs> have to do more and more work on the uh, Swindley Forest if, if you do become an Arsenal member. So that sounds really good. Uh, Sam, did you play any golf over the weekend? Uh, I did not. I'm looking to inquire about doing so this weekend coming up. But uh, no, I didn't do that much this weekend. I've just got Netflix. So I'm <laughs> so just at home. So Pretty um... much. I, I rattled through the Michael Jordan documentary. So... <laughs> Um, I think a lot of people would have would have watched that as well. So uh, yeah, exactly. So uh, I was rattling through that. It was really good. But yeah, no goal for me, I'm afraid. Or, or for me at the moment, I've been dealing with other bits and pieces. But um, one thing which was on at the weekend, which a lot of people probably would have tuned into, and that was the Champions for Charity match, which I think was the official title, which was the kind of like the match two between Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. They were also joined by two legends of the American football world in the form of Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. Um, it looked like it was going to be a complete washout at one point because it was pouring with rain, but they managed to uh, man up and play and uh, play the event. Uh, and it was pretty 
interesting and exciting and just great to see a bit of live golf again, wasn't it? Yeah, after the first one between Mickelson and Woods a couple of years ago, you thought that this one might die on its feet again. But I think adding the two amateurs, uh, who, to be fair, I don't really know much about, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of the English guys won't know known too much about them either. But yeah, it was great to, especially Tom Brady, to just see how badly he was playing. Like Obviously, the, pre- the pressure really got to him. He was really nervous, and yeah, it was very entertaining. It was great to see them mic'd up as well, all four of them, as opposed to just two of them with like forced banter. Yeah, that l- last time, I mean, there was uh, for the first match, there was all this talk about, oh, you know, there's going to be loads of banter between Mickelson and Woods. There's going to be loads of bets, side bets going on, and all this, blah, 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 blah. And it didn't really happen. It was a bit boring, wasn't it? So actually having a couple of other guys in there, um, and maybe, and especially two guys who, um, not all golf fans will know too much about. I mean, they are two of the biggest stars in the history of American football and two of the most successful people as well. So, you know, they have their own story. But you're right, Tom Brady was abs- was playing like I was about Augusta. Uh, he couldn't he could hardly hit the ball. But then he did chip in from nowhere, didn't he? To, uh... well, harsh. It's not quite a chip in. It's further than 100 yards. He was getting ripped into on social media and then especially by Charles Barkley as well who was a commentator at the event and for somebody like Charles Barkley I'm sure if you haven't seen his swing I recommend going to google it and (laughs) youtubing it because it's hilarious Um, but for Charles to criticize somebody else you really must be playing uh, badly Um, but yeah it was a a 140 yard shot on the seventh for birdie I mean not quite a chip shot (laughs) it's it's a hole out isn't it you know it's a a uh, fair play to him, and it doesn't surprise me that uh, someone. How many Super Bowls he won? Six, is it? Six. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Lost three. And that's, yeah. yeah. He's done all right for himself. But uh, yeah, if, if you haven't seen Charles Barkley's swing, uh, that's very good advice there, Sam, because Charles Barkley, uh, known for having the worst swing in golf. Um, worse than yours, Tom. Worse <laughs> than mine. There you go. You, you got in there, but it was an open goal there, that joke, wasn't it, Elliot? Cheeky. Uh, so uh, do check out Charles Barkley because he. It's it's painful to watch. If you're going through swing changes yourself, I'd, I'd probably say don't watch it because you 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 might not recover from watching it. But um, no, it was yeah, it was it was good, exciting times, and it went down you know right to the end. Tiger and Manning won by uh, one up, so uh, that was, it was good, entertaining, and it was some live golf, wasn't it? That's what we want to see at this at this moment, don't we? Yeah. Also, as well, instead of two of the richest sportsmen in history playing for an extra $9 million. It was for charity. It raised over $20 million for COVID-19 relief. So that's a really nice, happy, positive spin to it as well. Uh, and I also thought Justin Thomas was really good and entertaining. And, you know, it'd be great to see more players get into on-course commentary, perhaps when they're injured or something. Because, yeah. yeah, it offered a really nice perspective. Yeah, yeah. The best, some of the best stuff about it was listening to people like Mickelson talk about their shots and like get yeah. and also Justin Thomas talking through what the pro is thinking or what the player is thinking how they're going to play the shot those are some of the most interesting bits from my perspective um yeah and and, and that is actually very tricky there's something we don't get a huge amount of in golf because actually the such is the longevity of of some of the careers of golfers so actually a lot of the guys are actually um are just still playing or they're either playing a, on the normal tour or on the Champions Tour. I think that's why Faldo is so popular, I think, in America, because he does give great insight. Um, and obviously, he knows he's, he's been there, done that. But he doesn't really play as much, obviously, and hasn't played so much in the last um, 15 years or so because he's got other things to do and he's decided to, to concentrate on other things. So um, it, I think it is great to have those guys in. And I still think that what we've seen on some other tournaments where we have golfers mic'd up as they're playing or they have um, interviews with them as they're walking along the fairways. I think the more that golf can get that done, the better. Uh, I don't know if anyone, well, I, I do mention cricket every single podcast. So I might as well mention it now, but in some of the T20 tournaments we have around the world where uh, some of the players are mic'd up and they uh, talk through that, their mindset as they're coming to bowl or they're facing a ball. It's brilliant brilliant insight for anyone who's watching so i think golf has enough uh, dead space and whilst people are wandering around to find their ball or walking up 
to their 350-yard drives that we could probably get a bit more insight in there, couldn't we? Yeah, definitely. You see on social media quite often the some of the clips that do the best during these tournaments are like the fascinating chats that you see between player and caddy. Also, I want to touch on the TV coverage. It obviously wasn't on Sky Sports, which was a massive shame. I think Sky will definitely pick up the next one because the adverts were like pretty much every five minutes. It was absolutely ridiculous. And yeah, I don't know how American people watch live sport. It's did, did you did you find it unbearable? Uh, I mean, it, it was a look. There was a lot of advert. I mean. There was a lot of space for adverts, though, wasn't there? You, you weren't missing anything. I, I don't like adverts. Not whilst they were mic'd up, though. No. We could have heard all their great conversations during play. I think it just goes to show us how lucky we are in the UK and, you know, with Sky's coverage. and the, We do still have adverts, but nowhere near to that extent. I don't know. I think it uh, didn't bother me. I watch a lot more American sport, I think, than both of you guys, because I watch... Like the American football at college and pro level, it really doesn't bother me all that much, to be honest. <laughs> um, so no, you're right. I, I, I've actually got. I feel like I've got used to it. I mean, if every time if you look at the Sky Sports coverage, um, they won't put as many adverts in for whatever reason that is, mainly because they probably haven't got the actual sponsors. But they will go to their studio and they will cut to the the people in the studio and go through through bits and pieces like that so they still have the breaks because a lot of the coverage that they get is actually direct from the american broadcasters so um i get your point i mean adverts are adverts we're so we're used to having you know we're used to recording stuff and fast forwarding the adverts aren't we so actually watching live sport again is all a bit funny we've got to remember how to watch it again haven't we so <laughs> yeah yeah, but I think yeah. That, considering it was the first bit of live sport I've watched in a while, I'm gonna, I'm not going to uh, complain. To be honest, <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. And uh, so, so the next uh, live golf we've got potentially coming is in a few weeks' time for the what on earth is it? Is it the Charles Schwab. Charles Schwab, yeah. Yeah, at Colonial. Yeah, so that's I think the 11th of June, unless I've got that date completely wrong. So that's how many days away? It's about three weeks away, whatever. So that's going to be the first time that we're hopefully going to have a proper 150-odd player PJ Tour event. And I think we're all quite excited about that potentially happening now, aren't we? Yeah, um, we've always spoke, well, especially in the office, we speak a lot about how golf is every week. We're too saturated with, with the sport we love. And we'd love it to have like a nice summer break like football where you can build up the anticipation. And that's exactly what we've got now. We haven't had golf in, I don't know, eight to ten weeks. And yeah, we're just gagging for it, aren't we? We can't wait. I'm really excited. Uh, probably watch all four rounds. And uh, yeah, bring it on. I, th I think there's also a, a player element as well, because I think it's, especially in somebody like Tiger's case, um, who... Like he looked really good during the match, and I think the break and getting him prepared for what is going to be a lot of golf at the end of the year, I think that was probably quite a good thing. Rather than having tournaments every two weeks or whatever, I, th I think it was um, a, a good thing for a lot of the players. Yeah, I think, I think... Tiger, Tiger looked brilliant. Tiger looked a bit much better than he was when he we last saw him play. Yeah. He looked. Fit, he looked rarely go. I think you're absolutely right. And actually, I think I think there's a few players who will really have benefited strangely from from this enforced break. Um, we'll obviously have to wait and see how they how everybody looks when they come back. But what we saw from Ricky Fowler last week looked like he was swinging it better than when he was seemed to be struggling maybe a little bit on the PJ Tour. And also, there's people I'm I'm thinking like Brooks. yeah, I, I'm thinking Francesco Molinari who really was really struggling with his game in such a big, what was going to be in such a big year for him, you know, with um, him representing Italy at the Olympics, having the Ryder Cup as well, you know, on the back of, you know, a couple of amazing years. He was really struggling with his game. So I'm hoping that people like him actually may have had a chance to have a rest, reassess where they are, maybe get a bit of um, of advice and, um and to practice and, and hopefully are going to come out of this actually firing on all cylinders so from what we were a few months ago 
and the form players, we all knew who was playing well. I think there's going to be a completely different load of form players. Um, and yeah, I, it's really fascinating. It could, it's going to be great to see. And we're actually going to have to have some proper analysis of golf, which I cannot wait because I've missed it. Yeah, another great thing is that Rory's come out and said he's going to play in the first three. Uh, he, I think he's finished top five in his last six res- um, starts. So, yeah, it'd be very interesting to see how he comes out because he looked like he's playing great last week as well. Yeah, so uh, should be really, really good. So, uh, we should, should get quite a good field as well, shouldn't we, for Colonial in particular? Because I'm pretty certain Thomas has said he's playing, and I think I've seen a, a few others like commit to the tournament as well. So, what's going? It should be a good event in terms of field as well. Yep, I think if if the players feel it's safe and they can go through all the testing procedures and all this, and and realise that they're probably going to have to spend some time away from their families. Um, I think there might be some people out there who would be quite um, happy for that, <laughs> at being stuck at home in lockdown. Uh, nothing to do with my situation, of course. Uh, it, you know, I think we could have actually some really good uh, tournaments here. I just hope that it's all done safely, properly. You know, they haven't tried to rush it back too soon. That's, I think, the biggest worry that we've got. Because if they do do it right, then golf is going to fill a big live sport void. Uh, which is still there at the moment. So uh, let's hope yeah. that they do do it right. Um, so I'm going to move on now. We've got an exclusive interview from someone that we see a lot on Sky Sports, and that's Wayne Riley. Wayne Radar Riley, of course, is one of the most outspoken people on the TV, and he's also very, very funny. So he's also been one of our uh, golf monthly columnists for, for a good few years now. So we caught up with him recently, Nick Bonfield, one of the guys who's sometimes on the podcast, chatted to him about life on tour when he was playing. Can you give us a sense of what the European tour was like back in the day in terms of maybe some of the characters and maybe sort of the social aspect of the circuit? When I first got to the European tour in 1984 to the to tour school at Lamenga, I was sitting on the balcony about 10 minutes before I was hitting off and just sitting there having a coffee and this guy kept on running round and round and round the clubhouse on the balcony. And eventually the fourth lap, I said to him, mate, what, what, what are you doing? Who are you? And he says, my name's Danny Goodman and I'm going on the European tour. I'm training for the European tour. <laughs> and right then, I thought to myself, my word, Danny Goodman. Danny Goodman used to tie his partner to the back of a bus and, and, and it used to pop all the way down the motorway to punish it. He used to fly home via Concorde to, 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 uh, when he missed the cut, which is everywhere. I don't think he ever made a cut, Danny Goodman. <laughs> So these these people, and I've met people from Brazil, and I met um, from Spain, and um, all these places. They couldn't speak English. I couldn't speak Spanish. I couldn't speak German. I couldn't speak all this Italian. And there wasn't a lot of English um, spoken by the the international players. So we all just got on by hand signals, really. So it was it was a culture shock. But the personalities were massive. Just huge personalities from Ireland. Great Britain, all walks of life around the world, because we weren't playing for a whole lot of money, really, and and the personalities really shone, because, you know, we had a laugh on the practice round, doesn't matter who you'd stand on the first tee with in a practice round, you'd go, so right, let's join it, and off you'd go, you'd meet people out for dinner, and everyone just got on, it was just a great big, happy family, and um, something that I'll never, ever forget, really. Who would you say the the best characters were from your time on the European tour? Uh, There was a guy called uh, Emilio Rodriguez. There were were guys, like, from Spain that were probably the funniest. They were mad. (laughs) You you look at the Torrances, and you look at the Wuzzies, and you look at, you know, even Boxy, you know, still my good friend, Boxy, I still work with him now, and, uh, you know, just great character. There are so many we're Australians we we had over here that were um, big big personalities because we come from so far away we had to sort of get on with it you know you couldn't you'd, you'd leave home and, and, and you wouldn't be back for six months because you're not going to go back every third week and have a week off you're just not going to do it. it's just too far away so the South Africa South Africans I mean you know, they're just amazing personalities and really, really good players. And we were at a time where it went from pre-qualifying on a Monday to being an all-exempt tour, 125 each year, kept their cards. It was a very good time. 
to get on the tour. To be honest with you, if you're half a decent player, it was easier to get on the tour than it was to get off it. Okay, very interesting. So, so in the early days, were you sort of driving around and rooming with with people and sort of driving to events and kind of living yes. out of a suitcase? Yeah, that sort of thing. A lot of trains, a lot of buses were put on on Sunday night to drive us to the next gigs, especially on the continent. Uh, trains, a lot of time planes, and 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 you know you get a cheap ticket and all that sort of stuff. But a lot of trains back in the day. So you're basically a, a backpacker. You're backpacking around Europe with a set of golf sticks on your back. Mm. And I'd always travel with a girlfriend because I couldn't handle being by myself. Really, I didn't fancy it. And uh, a couple, of t- I had two long relationships back then when I was younger. So the first time I, I went away. I, I, I took a girl called Lyndall Rose Johnson, and she came for two years with me. She loved it, backpacking around Europe. I don't even know how we split up, to be honest. I think we were just both sick of each other and said goodbye and ta-da, but <laughs> took her around Europe for two years. And the next one, I went out with a girl for three and a half years called Sue Dalton, and she came with me through Europe before I bought my house, my first house I bought in 1988 in London. So um, then you started to go. I started to do all right financially, and I used to fly back on Sunday night and back out to wherever it was on Tuesday morning. Okay, so back in those early days, what was the the culture like away from the golf course? Was there a lot of sort of piling into the hotel bars and a lot of guys sort of maybe not taking things as seriously as they would do nowadays in terms of, sort of drinking before rounds and things like that? Absolutely, yeah. You'd always come down, have a, a beer at the bar and then go out for dinner and, you know, you'd have an early night. But Tuesday nights were very big on the European tour. Very, it was everyone sort of had a, a decent, you know, um, we'd fly out Tuesday if you were from, you know, come from the UK. <clears throat> and then you know, we'd play a practice round. Then, you know, you meet at the bar 6.30, but you wouldn't go crazy. Sometimes you would, but, but yeah, more people having a beer, out for dinner in their own little groups, and then back maybe one for dinner, uh, for, for a nightcap, and off you go. And that'd be you for the week. Um, then you'd start your, your, your golf program the next day into the championship. But Tuesday were famous, uh, really, Back in my day, Tuesdays were everyone was like, "Yeah, um, yeah, well, let's have a good time." But but nowadays, it's it's just totally. Don't get me wrong; we didn't go mental, but you know, we had a decent time. Do you have any good stories that, that stick in mind from from those times? Oh, I've come home to the, from the hotel on Tuesday, uh, from, uh, from the restaurant on Tuesday, and seen guys in the, standing in the middle of the fountain, not knowing where they were at the front of the hotel. <laughs> not mentioning any names, but yeah, there's, there's loads of there's loads of stories. I mean, people ask me that question. I have so many stories that they all pile in, in, into one. You know, you, you, you just the fun Nick was was incredible. Uh, you know, I just told you one about Danny Goodman running around the clubhouse. We just had so many stories about, about people screaming at, 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 at officials, or I had a guy uh, uh, once. I played with Juan Quiros, good player, Juan, definitely down at sort of Grand Day down in Spain. And he missed the putt and he just walked straight by me with glazed eyes and he walked over to a wall in uh, Malmo, Switzerland, in the Scandinavian Masters. He just walked over the wall, looked at me, looked at the wall, and just smacked the wall as hard as he could. Played the rest of the, ha- of the day with blood all over his right hand. I mean, it's just bizarre stuff. Michelle Tapia. Uh, disagreeing with his caddy at the Belfry and knocking, knocking him clean out, having a caddy uh, carry his clubs. Knocked his caddy out. I mean, it's, you know, there's just so many stories. <laughs> so it was a bit of a circus back then, was it? It was. It wasn't like, look, down to the sharp end, yes, we're all very professional, but like it is now, it's big business, a big business. You know, it's... Um, yeah, the first year I think I ran about 40th off on the European tour, I don't know, my first year, and I won 18,000 quid. Mm. Like, I probably went home with the same money as I came with and ran, well, what's 40th? Well, you'll, you'll, you'll put that down now. You'll find out what 40th is now and, you know, see what the difference is. Yes, quite considerable, I would suggest. So had the had the culture began to change by 1995 and 1996, where you won your two European tour titles at the Scottish and the Portuguese? Yeah, it did. Well, starting to play for good money then. You know, I, I, I won the um, Scottish, and I, I won 100 and something thousand, like just over 100,000. We're talking good money, you know, then. 
you know, I've run like the 11th and those two years and 15th, 16th, I don't know, around there, 15th um, and 16th, in, in, in the order of merit, you know, both times winning £250,000. Now, £250,000 today in 2020 is a substantial amount of money. Mm. And back then it was plenty of money. So, yeah, it was really starting to change. We started to play for 650000 in a big event, a Rolex event, as it is now, the Scottish Open. Back then, the Scottish Open, yeah, it was big, it was a big event, and we started to play for big coin. Would you say that was the biggest victory of your career, the 95 Scottish? Sentimentally, no, the Australian Open was. Um, I'll always, it doesn't matter where I go in Australia, I'll be always known as the Australian Open champion, where everywhere I go here in the UK, I'm not known as the Scottish Open champion. Uh, back there, I'm the Australian Open champion, it's different. But the field... Well, they're pretty parallel, really, but uh, going head-to-head with Monty on Saturday and then Faldo on Sunday was very special. I've been lucky to win the Australian Open around an, an iconic venue in Royal Melbourne and to win the Scottish Open around Canoosti on a, an iconic venue is um, very special. So two iconic venues. It, it, it make, it's huge. Almost winning on Royal Melbourne and winning at Canoosti are as big as the championships. So, you know, you can win anywhere, but if you win on a shitty golf course, no one really matters, but they remember when you win on something very, very special. Yeah, absolutely. So for, for, for people listening who maybe aren't overly familiar with your game, what what, what did you do well back then and what, what was it possibly a weakness of your game? Everything I did well. I did everything well from the tee. I was quite long. I was really good. I played good chipper. I wasn't a great putter. Um, I, was a, I was a good putter. Streaky. Uh, that's why I'm a result, you know, I won six tournaments around the world, you know, better than 99.9999% of professionals around the world. But, you know, I could have done a lot better if I was a better putter. I just wasn't a great putter. Um, that's why I went to the long putter. Right, okay. So, after the 96 Portuguese, up until retirement, can you just take us through that period, if you wouldn't mind? Oh, I don't really know. I started to get uh, quite burnt out. In the late 90s, 2000, because I, uh, I was always a pretty hard worker. And I got burnt out and um, I started to think about going home to Australia. And um, that's exactly what I did. I got to about 2000, I got to 40 years old. I went, well, these kids are working harder than I am. Um, why waste the money you've made out of the game, which was quite a lot. And, and I, I went, nah, I'm going to go now. And, and so I, I just left and I just gave up and went home. What about the transition from that into broadcasting then? Well, I went home to Australia. I bought a little nine-hole par three golf course, a pitch and putt. It was actually bigger than a pitch and putt. They were 100 yards to 160-yard par threes. I bought this golf course. I worked it for two years and uh, myself and, and just wanted to get away from the, the merry-go-round, really. And then Channel 7 in Australia called me up and uh, said, would you like to do some on-course commentary? And I went, yeah, okay. So I did that for uh, those two years whilst I was running my golf uh, course. And uh, and I, I, I didn't find it difficult. And I called Sky and, and they said, yeah, we've been monitoring. Come over for the Spanish Open. So I come over for the Spanish Open for one go to see, you know, for both to see if I like it and they like what I did. And as soon as I flew back to Australia after that week, uh, which was down at San Rocky, Hanson won, and I got a phone call as soon as I landed to come back, and I got eight more gigs, and then I signed my first contract the next year with Sky, and uh, that's it. What do you enjoy most about the job? Oh, just being amongst the game, our people. Um, you know, you don't have to play golf to be still amongst our people and be part of the huge family. I, I like the golf. I like watching uh, the guys play. I like watching the emotion of it all because I, I, I remember the emotion of it all. You know, I can feel it when they miss a three-footer. I've been there, done that. And I can stand there and think to myself, well, you yeah, know, thank heavens it's you. It's not me anymore. But... Yeah, I just love the, describing the shots. I, I like getting off. I find it a creative job, which I like. And, and um, yeah, I, I like the whole side of TV. So it's, uh, I, I, I've, I've been very lucky. You know, I found something second time round that I can do as well. So it's, it's um, I'm very lucky because a lot of people want to do it. But look, not saying I'm gifted, but I'm saying I'm lucky to be able to do it because not everyone can do it. It doesn't make you a better person that you... You can do it, but it's just something that I can do. 
obviously you bring your own sort of unique personality and look to golf tournaments. Do you get a lot of people stopping you at events and wanting to engage you in conversations and asking you for stories and things like that? Absolutely, especially in the UK. Yeah, yeah, I'm hounded. Um, but I don't mind selfies and all that. But it doesn't bother me. It, it, it's you know they they are all the subscribers. They are the golfing public. If you don't take time off to say to, to, to the kids or the parents, you know, and you turn out and you try to be something you're not. No fun. I like engaging with them. I, I think you know sometimes give, people give me a ribbing and sometimes they cheer you. You know, it's 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 all good. You so, know, you can't please everyone, but you know, I've, I, I, I get more, um, a lot more um, people who seem to enjoy it than than, than don't, and um, you know, they like what we do on Sky. It costs a lot of money to, to what people do on Sky, what we put out, and um, yeah, I'm glad that they're, they're all enjoying it. What would you say your, your highlights from your time working for Sky have been then, in terms of what you witnessed firsthand, up close and personal? Open um, was massive where we won a BAFTA um, a couple of years back on the um, the, the Henrik Stenson Nicholson shoot off a shootout. The Troon, up yeah. the Troon, we won a BAFTA going up against it. Yeah, and uh, to be part of that, and you're well and truly part of it because I'm calling the shots in that last group in that famous shootout. So you're part of a winning team. And then, you know, I've done six Ryder Cups as an Australian um, to. to, to, to I don't think there's ever been another broadcaster who's commentated at the Ryder Cup. That, that's an honour. To be asked to go to the Ryder Cup and commentate as an Australian when it's got nothing to do with Australia is quite an honour. Absolutely. And I believe, because I am um, pulling back the curtain, I, I helped write your column. And when Tiger Woods won the Tour Championship in 2018, I believe you said that that was the, one of the best things that you'd ever seen on a golf course. Does that still ring true two years on? Yeah, the atmosphere of Kim coming out and, uh, and and winning once more was was one of the greatest things. But I think now the Masters has surpassed that. The Masters has surpassed that Tour Championship. He just keeps on bringing things that you can't believe. We can't, you know, it's just unbelievable what Tiger Woods has done. And who'd actually say that Tiger Woods is not going to get to Nicholas's record? I don't think he'll pass it. Maybe he can get to it. So if I... If I... Now, say to you, how many majors does Tiger Woods win when the curtains come down on his career? What would you say? What is the most likely answer? 16. 16. Okay, interesting. Right, should we, um, should we dive into just a few quick-fire questions to round things off then, if that's all right with you? Done. Let's yeah, go I'm with... What players do you have the best relationship with on tour and who are the funniest players on tour that you really enjoy speaking to? What players do I have what? The best relationship? Yeah, and who do you really enjoy speaking to on tour? All the Europeans. All the Europeans. But, you know, you look at a Ricky Fowler and you look at even a Dustin Johnson, you look at uh, a um, Patrick Reed. These guys are all very good players. I don't talk to them. They, I wait for them to come and talk to me. But sometimes we have a right little giggle and... Uh, Look, I haven't met anyone who's not forthcoming at all. They're all they're all very very good guys. To be honest with you, out of uh, the problem with with the players is their managers. Mm. They can get a little bit catchy about their player. So I think sometimes the managers have to chill out a bit. Yeah, I mean it's something we experience too. Uh, this side of the, this side of the glass as well, unfortunately, but it's just the way it is with a. Uh professional golf being so such a professional pursuit these days but um yeah as you say a lot of the players are a pleasure to deal with um who's the funniest player on tour the funniest player on tour funny Me, oh god you get people mate. like sullivan that get a lot of votes for this i think and stenson yeah yeah you gotta be thinking that's about where you're at um sully's a funny guy just walks around with his but there's loads of them. Yeah, Stenson, you, you look at... I mean, you look at a Westwood, and I tell you what, people wouldn't say, and, and I tell you what, he's a dry, funny man. Mm. He, he, he likes a decent time. Don't worry about that. He makes me chuckle. Lee. We can have a right little sarcastic chuckle together. Nice. That's funny, because a lot of people might see Lee coming across as fairly stern whilst he's in yeah, the thick of battle, but away from the course, yeah. he's not like that. No. no, no, he's a funny guy. 
he's a, he's a good guy. They're all good guys. Which players do you stop or player do you stop and watch on the range because their ball striking is so good? Oh, I'll stop and watch DJ. Um, definitely Rory McIlroy. I'll, I'll stand there and watch Rory McIlroy. I'll watch Stenson hit irons. I'll watch... Um, I'll watch Space Chip and Putt. I'll watch. Um, I watch all of them. I go along and watch all of them. I like to see what shape they hit, just in case when I'm out with them. But you know, as good hitters, I know Justin Thomas. You know, just a flusher, just a beautiful player. Um, you know, but but DJ and Rory would be the guys that I'd stop the most. Because the ball just makes a different sound. Which player do you most admire on tour? Who would I admire? Admire. Um, for what they've got. Oh, God. you got to help me here. Guys who aren't that good, but basically get the job done. Well, I mean, I've, I've asked a similar question. I remember to Chris Wood once upon a time, and he said GMAC because he just gets so much out of his game. Yeah, good. Yes. Yeah, I just, yeah, you ask that question. There's so many. I, I watch 300 golfers. You go, well, gee, there's a lot of them. You look at a Spieth. He gets the most out of his game as anybody. But GMAC and Spieth, it's a photo finish. What, what do you make of what Spieth's currently going through, and do you see him coming out the other side? I, I feel, and I hate to say it, but I think we've seen the best of Spieth. Okay. I, I think he's held so many putts that you can't keep on doing that. And mm. I think he was on such a rush with the putter that that's the way it is. And and I think, you know, that weak left-hand grip with the driver and the block and the pull, you know, you can't just go, you've got a weak no-knuckle grip and all of a sudden give him three-knuckle grips. It's just going to be a nightmare. And we've seen it before with another Texan in Bill Rogers. I hope it's not true. Mm. And I hope I'm proved wrong, but I think we've seen the best of space. I don't, not saying that he won't win another major. Maybe he will. Maybe he'll win another four. But I don't think we'll see him win FedEx Cups and majors and competing for a grand slam. As I said, I hope I'm wrong. Interesting stuff. Okay, so everyone in the world is playing their best golf. Who wins? Okay. If you could play one course for the rest of your life, which would it be and why? Um, Royal Melbourne, because it's home. Okay. Uh, who has the best golf swing in the world and why? just so athletic and he hits it so far for not a big man it's all on plane you know um once it doesn't get stuck behind but i i think this the swing is um is, is to die for it's it's, it's dynamic it really is dynamic because as you say he's not a big guy are you surprised at the power he can for generate something for, pretty, for something that's pretty is is adam scott hmm yeah, hard to argue with that. And finally, you're out in Vegas or New York at a tournament. Which two players do you pick for a night out? For a night out? Who do I pick for a night out in Vegas? Or maybe you just grab Rich Bean and the two of you just go on right, the town. Mate. I was going to say Rich Bean. I'm saying Rich Bean. That's yeah. amazing you said that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah just say just say just say Rich Beam. And that's all you need, is it? Rich, Rich, and his other personality. <laughs> Can you give us some indication? Obviously, there's all these great stories about Rich Beam, and he's quite legendary um, for his exploits off the golf course. Can you give us some indication as to what he's like away from the commentary booth? Mate, he's a great guy. I was speaking to him last night. We were screaming profanities to each other over the phone. He's just practicing America, getting ready for the Champions Tour. He's a great guy. He must have quietened down a lot since we've been working together probably five years because, you know, it's all pretty straight now. He's a married man with two grown-up kids, so he's, you know, he's... It's, look, a lot of the stories about me, a lot of the stories about Rich Bean, you know, they, they are grossly over-exaggerated. But then again, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good note to finish on, Radar. Thanks very much for your time. Uh, I hope the rest... Thanks very much for joining us on the Golf Monthly Clubhouse podcast. Okay.
bud. Cheers, Radar. Appreciate it. So much. Bye. Okay, there you go. That was Wayne Riley talking to Nick Bonfield. Elliot, thought some really interesting facts there and thoughts from Radar. Yeah, um, Radar in great form as always. Definitely one of my favourite characters in golf and probably lots of people's favourite characters. Yeah, loved what you said about the European tour back in the olden days there, how it was like travelling around Europe, backpacking with a set of golf clubs and those Tuesday nights sounded quite wild. Uh, also, towards the end there, those quickfire questions Nick asked him. Uh, I found it interesting what he said about Jordan Spieth, saying that his best years could be behind him and, you know, he fears that he might not ever get back to where he was. Um, and, yeah, when you think about it, it's been th- over three and a half years now since Birkdale when, <laughs> incredibly, Spieth last won any tournament. Um, yeah. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to see what happens with Spieth going forward. Uh, but yeah, yeah that is mad. To say that. that is mad when you think about it for Spieth. It's bonkers. Sam, you're a big Spieth fan, aren't you? Yeah. Well, I. <laughs> you on the I'm a big Spieth fan. I, I, I don't mind him, but I, I prefer JT now. But <laughs> um, no, Spieth. He just seems to be like I'm not going to comment on why he seems to have uh, dropped down the ranks or anything, but it just seems like he thinks about the swing a bit too much in terms of. The feeling of it and stuff like rather than focus on what he was good at before and also he's talking about changing his grip and in the past changing of grip hasn't seemed to have gone well for a lot of players but um hey he knows more than i do so hopefully we'll see him back up um like near the near the business end of the rankings yeah you wouldn't be the first person with it who's kind of this has suddenly happened if you think of like someone like keimer as well you know not that he's not Keimer's not old and that by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, he was fantastic player, world number one, you know, won a few majors. And then he just seems to have just dropped away slightly. Uh, and Spieth seems to have also fallen into that trap. And I think it just sometimes happens. You, you could be in great form and also you get the luck. And then suddenly that just that just changes. Um, I, think, I think the nature of modern golf in particular as well, in that it's so there's so much strength and depth to it. You may not even be playing that badly, but like everybody's making it look as if you are, if you see what I mean. Like he hasn't won, but he may not be um, missing a lot of cuts. But like every, like Justin Thomas is winning all the time and uh, I don't know, uh, Brooks is winning all the time and Rory and these are the people he's supposed to be competing against. It's just making him look as if he's not performing. Do you see what I mean? Like yeah. it's just it's it's difficult in this day and age when there's so much strength in the game, which is a good thing. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of things to do, but um, yeah, we'll wait and see. I hope Spieth comes back because I think if we could get all the best players firing, it's just going to be amazing to watch. So uh, fingers crossed. Uh, we're going to move on and talk about some things which have happened in the news, uh, golf news recently. We're not going to talk about. Uh, Dominic Cummings or anything, thankfully. Um, one of the biggest stories broke on Friday night, Saturday morning, and uh, something that we've been expecting, but we didn't know whether that anything was actually going to be reported, and that is that Justin Rose has split from his equipment contract with Homma. He had signed a 10-year contract just over a year ago or so, and we were all pretty surprised when it happened because obviously he'd been playing very well, and he was world number one when he signed that contract. And, of course, since then, with the, with the changing clubs and whatever that has happened, uh, he has rather slipped down the rankings a tad. Elliot, you wrote the story, Breaking News, on Saturday morning. Uh, what are your thoughts about it all? Uh, yeah, it's not a surprise, really. I'm not sure if it was a 10-year deal. I think it's just so. a multi-year deal. Yeah, but still, ending a multi-year deal after just over 12 months, yeah, it's, it's very strange, yeah. That's why uh, I spoke to Joel Tabman earlier. He had a lot of um, insight on that. Yeah, for some reason, it just didn't happen for him, did it? He, he moved there to try and get freedom because I think Taylor made one in to play all 14 clubs and ball. So he got his own personal grinder. He got all these clubs made to his own specifications. And... Obviously, it's nothing to do with the clubs because he won in his second start and he's a phenomenal golfer who could probably win tournaments at any club he uses. So, yeah, he's just lost his confidence. I think he's had a bit of uh, trouble with his body as well. And I guess 
losing a bit of confidence as well, which all results in poor performances. Yeah, and as you mentioned there, Elliot, you did speak to our equipment editor about this news recently. So uh, here's a bit of audio with Elliot talking to our equipment editor, Joel Tadman. Right, so thanks for joining us today, Joel. Obviously, there was big news at the weekend with Rose and Honma officially parting. Uh, I take it you weren't surprised to hear about that split? No, I think that's been on the cards for a while now. Uh, obviously, you know, early on in this season, he's switched to using all tailor-made clubs. Uh, I think it was Arnold Palmer Invitational. He didn't have a Honma club in the bag, so the signs were there. And then, obviously, you take a look at his form for 2020, you know, three missed cuts out of four events. So, clearly, you know, for someone, a player who's so consistent normally and a bit of a money-making machine when it comes to making cuts and churning out top tens for him to have that string of results. Clearly, there's something was wrong and something needed to change. So, uh, yeah, no surprise at all, really. What do you think's next for him? Do you think he'll stay a free agent or sign with someone else? Um, obviously, he's very familiar with with tailor-made clubs, and I'm pretty sure he will just revert back to using. Um, the tailor-made clubs he used before or, you know, similar versions of it. You know, we see more and more players now going down that free route of equipment where they're not tied down to contracts. Uh, you look at the success of Brooks Kepka, Tommy Fleetwood, um, numerous other players who have had, had really good success, you know, choosing whatever clubs they want and letting them earn enough money through good results rather than signing equipment deals that tie them down to areas of the bag where maybe they don't want to be tied down to. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, but I would imagine that's the way he will go. Yeah. Um, would you say that it was a success for Honma? Obviously, on the face of it, it may be a little bit embarrassing for them, like signing a multi-year deal with Justin Rose. But wasn't the goal just to get a bit of European share? And that's exactly what has happened. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the exact sales figures um, for Homa, but I would imagine it's helped a little bit. Obviously, they've only had one year kind of exposure from him. Um, but I think he's, you know, he was involved in the product design side of things as well. So, you know, I'm sure he's been influential in them creating um, better performing equipment. But whether he's boosted the brand's image enough to kind of recoup what they probably spent on him which was quite a lot of money I would imagine I don't know the figures but um, you know they would have invested quite a lot of money in him over what, what they hoped would have been a long period of time so to get that shorter hit of exposure uh, from a player who didn't play overly well during the time he was there yes he did admittedly he did win you know in his second start using Homer equipment he won and that you know that was a big step for them in terms of exposure, you know, he was using the driver at um, Farmers Insurance Open when he won. So, you know, it, it got off to such a promising start and people were talking about Homer as a genuine contender in the equipment game, but then it kind of just fizzled out. So I guess, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, he was raving about that driver, wasn't he? About all the hidden technology in it and he loved the classic look. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a clever driver and it does perform, you know, we've tested it and it's it's as good as anything else out there um if you get fitted properly it is a bit complicated um obviously justin rose has access to the best fitters in the world so he wouldn't have had a problem getting dialed in you know the hosel system is quite fiddly and complicated but um you know we saw him testing the new tr20 driver at the start of this year maybe he didn't like what he saw in that model maybe he thought they were going in a direction that he didn't want to go in um obviously we haven't tested that driver yet so we don't know what it's like but yeah i mean the, the product performs isn't it you know i don't think there's any question about that it's maybe they just couldn't get it to suit him quite the way he wanted to um which is interesting because when he signed he said he really wanted to play homer because it gave him a chance to play a club that looked exactly the way he wanted to look and obviously he was heavily involved in the design so it's a bit of a strange one but um yeah i don't think you can use this decision just to kind of slam Honma clubs and their performance because they are good clubs it just clearly wasn't working for Rose certainly this year yeah do you think you'll see Honma signing up any other European players or do you think that's them done in the European market that's a good question um I would say yes we probably will see another signing but I wouldn't have thought it would be as high a profile as someone like Rose obviously Rose was you know a tailor-made 
almost certainly looking to offload. They had a lot of big names on big contracts, um, and it was a big coup for Homer to get them. I'm sure he paid big money. They paid big money for him, but yeah, maybe they're looking for a maybe softer approach, uh, maybe an up and coming player, maybe a few up and coming players. Um, hope you know where they spend less money, and then you know those players grow and they steadily perform even better, and then they get better exposure that way. So uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it remains to be seen. Yeah, so as well, why do you think Rose, obviously world number one at the time, been playing tailor-made equipment for 18 years or something, his whole whole uh, career? What what do you think helped him make that move to Honma? Yeah, it's a very it was a very curious decision at the time because, as you say, well, he was world number two, I think, and then he got to world number one almost straight away. You know, he had one of the best years of his career. He's not someone that needs the money. He's got so many different sponsors, you know, uh, Morgan Stanley and all sorts. You know, he's not going to be short of a few quid. And I, but even saying that, I don't think this was a golf decision. In my opinion, this was more of a business decision than it was a golf decision. Talked about how Taylor made were looking to streamline their roster of players, and you know, I don't think there was any problem with the equipment he was using. I'm sure Taylor made would happily you know, did create clubs specifically for Rose to use. You know, so I don't think there was any problem with the, with the equipment he was using. This was a business decision that went wrong, unfortunately. We see it a lot of times in golf where players, even players who don't need to chase the money, um, they do it anyway just because they like a change. Maybe Rose felt like he needed a change in his equipment. You know, been Like you say, he'd been with TaylorMade for 18, 20 years. Fancied a shift in direction. But sometimes these things go wrong. And you know, we saw it with Bubba Watson switching to Volvic. You know, it was a, a bad decision. And ultimately, you know, the performance on the course is the thing that matters the most. And if these clubs, you know, aren't performing for you or you don't feel comfortable with them, you, you're really going to suffer. And we would imagine we would see Rose going back to something that he's familiar with, i.e. playing the tailor-made clubs that he had before, just because he obviously feels comfortable with them. We've seen he's gone back into a full bag of them already. So I'd imagine that's the way he's going. But unfortunately, it's just a, a business decision that didn't quite go as well as both Rose and Honmer had hoped. OK, there was Elliot talking to Joel Tadman about Justin Rose splitting with Honmer. Now, Sam, you are very much involved with updating all our What's in the Bag posts online. And so, you, and also, you just love golf gear. So, um, can you just let the guys know what uh, Rose is expected to be using now? Yeah, I can do. Yeah, put me on the spot there. Um, yeah, so at the moment, he's got a, a tailor-made SIM driver in the bag. He's also got a, a SIM Max 3-wood, which then goes down to a Cobra, which is an interesting. haven't seen that before. Cobra Speed Zone Tour fairway wood. Then he puts some tailor-made irons in there. I believe some P730s. Is that right, Elliot? Sorry, I haven't got it in. Yeah, I think they're the Rose Protos that he, uh, he was using in 2018 or whenever they came out. Yeah, gone back to his old ones. Um, Rose, was, Rose was obviously using a lot of tailor-made stuff before he signed with Homer, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's with yeah. the with tailor-made his whole career from yeah. turning pro, I think, in the late nineties. Yeah, so we're, we're expecting that he's actually, you know, he's he's what what we we really think is that he's actually thought, look, I'm going to go back to what worked for me before, uh, and then just go from there, isn't he? And yeah. we, we, we've been reasonably well. I've probably been reasonably critical of Justin Rose on on the podcast. Uh, over the last year or so, just because I don't think he's played as much golf as he should have done. I think he concentrated too much around the majors. Um, he had that great chance to be, you know, be world number one for an extended period of time. And now he, he's dropped slightly down the rankings, hasn't he? So I think we all very much would love to see Justin out there playing a lot more golf with um, obviously the equipment that he's happy with and also, you know, performing well again, wouldn't we? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to the golf starting as well from an equipment standpoint as well because, you know, I love going through Getty images and seeing what clubs people have in the bag and starting up our Tour Gear Roundup uh, website article. So check that out, guys, in, in a few weeks. And, you know, I'm sure there'll be some interesting changes and new clubs in people's bags. Yeah, and uh, we all, we've already seen that already happening. We did, we did a, a new Tiger with What's in the Bag YouTube video last Sunday just gone. Um, and that, since that's gone live, it, that seems to have already changed for Tiger as well. He's putting some different clubs in the bag again on the match on Sunday. So 
Uh, there's going to be lots and lots of new uh, articles and videos going up about the new equipment that everyone's going to be using, so do check them out. And one of the, the what's in the bags that always does well is that uh, for Rory McIlroy. He's obviously one of the most popular players on tour, and Rory has been quite outspoken as ever about what he thinks is going to be happening in the future for golf. And one thing he has now said in the last day or so is that he thinks that the Ryder Cup is going to be postponed this year and move from 2020 to 2021. And he thinks that's the, the right thing to do. He wants there to be fans at the Ryder Cup. Now, I was quite surprised when I saw this so recently. Uh, we know that the PJ Tour are interested in getting fans to tournaments in July. And of course, the Ryder Cup isn't until September. Do we think that Rory just wants there to make sure that it is like any normal other Ryder Cup with both American and European fans at the event. Yeah, I think so. It's kind of like golf's answer to a football match, isn't it, with the away and home fans. And as it stands at the moment, I don't think there's really any chance of away fans travelling out. So I guess it would be like a football match with only home fans in it, which, well, it wouldn't even be full, would it? Because I don't think they'll be allowing, you know, their numbers that they would be. So it's just not going to be as atmospheric as... The players like it and the players are the stars. The players are the ones with the power and surely the guys at the PGA of America are listening to this and it's going to be such a tough decision for them because they're going to lose money if they postpone it. The European tour especially is going to lose money. But yeah, it's the players are the stars at the end of the day and kind of what they say goes, especially when Ram, Kepka and McElroy have all said this, the world's top three players who are all going to be playing. I mean, I'm going to play devil's advocate here and say I, I think this is, I think the Ryder Cup is going to happen this year. I mean, Rory knows a lot more about, about it than me, but I think it's going to happen for a lot of the th reasons of why you just said. I don't think a lot of the, especially the European Tour, can afford it. They can they afford their next European Ryder Cup to be postponed another year? Um, and I think we need we need the Ryder Cup. They say if there's there's going to be fans at sporting events and especially at golfing events in July. I don't understand why then the Ryder Cup should then be postponed. If everything seems to be going safely, I think we should get, get, get it going and get it on. And we don't know at the moment, we just don't know what's going to be happening in the next month, so let alone three months. And people could be able to, to travel over to America without having to be quarantined in the near future. We just don't know, do we? It's, it's just... Um, it's an odd situation at the moment and Rory seems to be very much in the case of wanting to get it postponed completely already. So I just I just find it all a little bit odd at the moment. Well, I think the main thing is the safety element of it. And that Rory, from the very beginning of all of this, has been very clear on everybody having to get tested, everybody's got to make sure it's safe and all this kind of stuff. So it seems like these comments have just been an extension of... Um, the safety element of it. I mean, as you said, there's there's no telling what's going to happen. So it just seems a little bit jumping the gun, maybe a little bit. I mean, it takes, I think, three or four months to put up all the stands and everything. That's what Paul McGinley told me. So, I mean, that's, we're around four months away now, aren't we? So, yeah, who knows? Um, who knows yeah, what's going to happen? I, th I think they need to work out... When they say that the fans are going to be back at PGA Tour events, we don't actually know how many fans are going to be on the property. And we know that actually, of course, uh, PGA Tour events don't get as big a crowd as Ryder Cups. We know that. So there's lots of things to consider with it all, isn't there? But um, I mean, I'm hopeful. Well, I'm just trying to be positive, I think, and hopeful that we can actually get golf going again. It seems things are happening. It seems that we're definitely going to have the PJ started in in a few weeks. That's going to happen, isn't it? Uh, unless something bad really happens. So, I think let's let's wait and see on that. I think uh, one thing that I'm sorry, one thing I'm thinking is that at most Ryder Cups, especially recently, there's always too many fans. So it's not like the gate uh, the match can could not afford to lose some fans. I mean, if they only allow fifty percent of what they usually take it's not really going to take too much away from it because I speak to loads of people at my club and, you know, people in the industry or whatever who've been to Ryder Cups and they say, as a spectator, you actually can't really see that much. It's not like it's a full tournament with 150 players. There are only ever, what, a maximum of 12 games going on. So 
Yeah, I guess yeah, it's got yeah, that going for it. Yeah, usually, there's four holes in play at, at each time, so maybe you could, there are ways that people can manage it. And I've, I'm, I'm with you on that. Having been to a Ryder Cup, um, you can get very busy. There's some spots that you want to get yourself into, and Whistling Straits should be a very good viewing course anyway. You, I don't know if you're going to need that many grandstands because of the, the the way that the course is set and the ground that it's set on quite big dunes and things like that. We'll wait and see. We'll wait and see, won't we? Um, other other uh, news from the Ryder Cup is that Kevin Nahr has uh, been quoted in the last few days saying that he thinks that Tiger Woods will be the next Ryder Cup captain whenever uh, the matches are played over in Italy. Due, of course, to be played in 2022 at the moment if there's no other postponements or anything around it. Tiger, of course, was the captain of the President's Cup team uh, at the end of last year. And, of course, he also qualified to play in it. So he was also a playing captain. And he also played really well and they won. Do you think... So a couple of questions here. Sam, I'm going to come to you first. So get ready. <laughs> that if Tiger Woods is the captain for the 2022 matches, do you think that he will, if he gets the opportunity, also play in those matches? Uh, like, I, like, like he I, was the President's Cup, so he'd be a playing captain. Yeah, I don't think he would, no. I think he realised that it's that kind of thing is kind of possible in the President's Cup. I'm not sure... I, th- I think he knows that the Ryder Cup is a step up there, and I don't think he would play as well as be the captain, though. That Ellie? could be could be just me thinking that, but yeah. Elliot, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with Sam. I don't think he could be a, a Ryder Cup playing captain. I do. I would also like to think that Woods will still be competitive by then. By what's it, twenty twenty three? He'll be forty seven, forty eight, something like that. Obviously, well into the twilight of his career, but you know, if people still do think that he might match Jack's record or yeah, and even also surpass it, he'll, he'll be winning majors by then. Hopefully, still. It's still twenty twenty two at the moment that the match that that match is supposed to be on because there's no postponement. So, and this is all. It's it's worth mentioning that this is all kind of rumor and hearsay at the moment. Like there are a lot. There are several players who are linked with the role. For example, like Zach Johnson is being linked with it because he's been vice captain at several events um, and he's been linked with it. And then obviously Phil is being linked with 2024. So probably realistically, if this is just a rumour and everything, Tiger's probably not going to be captain until 2026 at a damn manor when probably he may not be playing anymore. I'm not sure. So therefore he could probably just focus on the captaincy. So there wouldn't even be that. Do I play? Do I not issue? Um, but anyway, that's all rumour, isn't it? I think yes. Tiger, in the back of Tiger's mind, I bet he's thinking, wow, wouldn't it be great if I could play and be a playing captain? Like, no one else has done that. You know, if he could lead, and especially if he then wanted, went and, you know, they, they were successful, over, you know, in Europe, which they haven't been for so long. Um I think there's a lot of things that will tempt him to try and do it. And I've, I don't see there any... We, we said about the President's Cup, oh, he won't pick himself or anything like that, or he won't, you know, he won't... Um, he won't do that. And he's... He, you no, know, he did it, and he played out, played out with his skin. He was, he was awesome. He was the talisman. People would love to see it as well. You think about all the, the TV ratings of, you know, watch Tiger lead and, and play. I think he'd love to try and do it. I, I don't think there's a question of him like he'll want to play but I think he'll recognize that oh the Ryder Cup captaincy is a really difficult job at the time and whilst you're playing and stuff like there's so much to focus on he can't also focus on playing that's just how I feel um I think he kind of I don't want to say respects the cup enough that he would not play but like that's not the right wording but I think he understands that it's a completely different beast to the President's Cup um but if anyone, if anyone can handle it, he can. Yeah. Every time he goes to an event, he has to do more press conferences than anybody else. He has more pressures on his time. He's got more, he gets more attention than anybody else. He should, if anyone can get, be used to that, he can do. And if he picks the vice captains well, you know, you think of who's, 
you know, Steve Stricker is going to be captain uh, this year if it happens. If you get a couple of those guys, Stricker and Fred Couples and a few of his, his other mates, you know, close mates from from tour, then actually, why why not? You know, they can take the strain. They can be be with every match. They don't need Tiger being there with you know following each 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 match. Uh, and if he maybe if he if he were to play in one match like in the four balls in the morning and then take up the foursomes or something like that, then actually he could still do it, I think. So, um, but we'll wait and see. This is, again, all hearsay. And it's all because Kevin, yeah, Kevin asked <laughs> something slip on radio, which we don't even know if it's been decided or not. So um, the full story of that is on uh, the Golf Monthly website at the moment. So do check out what, what Kevin Nar said. It was quite funny, actually. So um, I do, Sorry, I do agree with Sam, though. I think 2022 or 23 is far too early for Tiger when... He mentioned Zach Johnson there. I think Zach Johnson would be would be a perfect away captain due to the fact that he's won a major in Europe and he's also won the Masters, so he's very famous. And also, yeah, surely Mickelson would be a captain before Woods as well, considering he's like six years older. Yeah, we'll wait and see. We won't. <laughs> we'll, we'll wait and see. But it's great to chat about, though, isn't it? Especially yeah, that's good fun. What we're supposed to be doing. So. Um... <laughs> Anyway, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Thanks ever so much uh, for your time this week, Elliot and Sam. Do check out all the latest happenings in golf at the Golf Monthly website, golf-monthly.co.uk, on our social media, at Golf Monthly on Twitter and Instagram, and Golf Monthly Magazine on Facebook. And how about this? How about checking us out on Apple News? If you have an Apple device, follow us on Apple News, and you might even get some push notifications for all the breaking golf news out there, so you don't miss a thing. Until next week, well, you're... Elio, are you going to play any, play any golf between now and next week? Nothing planned at the moment, but yeah, I'll probably go back to Westy B at the weekend. Well, <laughs> good luck to you. Try and not get beaten by your dad again. That was embarrassing. <laughs> so, and, uh, oh, I'm playing so much better now. <laughs> well, indeed. Sam, I think me and you have got to try and work out when uh, we can play as well. So uh, we'll try and see if we can get a round of golf in between now and then as well. But uh, until then, thanks guys for your time and to everybody out there thanks for listening and we'll speak to you again next week